You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cyberwire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. We were doing uh, research on uh, an, a totally different threat actor group, actually, and stumbled upon some indicators that were very unique and interesting to us. That's Robert Boyce. He's the global lead for cyber incident response and transformation services at Accenture. The research we're discussing today is titled, Who are the latest targets of cyber group Lyceum? And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. As we started to dig into it, we started to stumble upon Lyceum as, as a threat actor going after different industries that we had not known them to be going after before. And so as we were just digging into this more, you know, we, we started to see a pattern developed. Well, let's walk through it together. I mean, as as you as this came on your radar and you started to unpack it, how did the story unfold? Yeah. So, as as we were going through this, and we did this um, this research in collaboration with the uh, Prevalian's adversarial counterintelligence team. Um, so it was a great collaboration. 
and, and we were able to, you know, use the Accenture's threat intelligence team's knowledge of uh, C2 infrastructure together with telemetry that Prevalian, uh, uh, their research team had. And, uh, you know, we were able to start seeing a, a number of interesting patterns develop built on some of the work that ClearSky and Kaspers- uh, Kapersky was doing in, a, in the same space uh, on the same threat actor. Hmm. Well, let's walk through some of those together. I mean, what uh, what did you see that formed a pattern here? You know, as it's pretty well known now uh, through some of the research that was published by ClearSky and Kaspersky, this threat actor was using two uh, known malware programs, uh, uh, Shark and Milan. You know, we started to see that uh, within those, there was some patterns that we were able to do further research on that wasn't really researched previously. So as an example, the shark uh, had some very interesting components of their their algorithm that had some very specific syntax. And, and we were able to start developing uh, regular some regular expressions and again, looking through Prevalian's telemetry and starting to see actually a slightly different victimology emerge uh, that was not really traditional for Lyceum previously. Well, let's just back up for a second here. I mean, who? what is your sense in terms of who they're targeting? What, what part of the world and what sort of uh, verticals are they going after? Lyceum has been pretty well known since they've been active, we think, since around 2017. And at that point, they were going after targets that were uh, significant to sectors of strategic intelligence importance uh, for Iran, uh, Lyceum being an Iranian threat uh, group. And what they had focused on initially was really oil and gas companies and telecommunication companies in the Middle East. Hmm. And then through our research, we started to see that evolve. And so between July and October of this year, we started to see them target internet service providers and telecommunication operators in Israel, Monaco, Tunisia, and Saudi Arabia. And we've actually also seen some evidence of them targeting at least one Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, of an African nation. Yeah, that's fascinating. So I, I suppose, I mean, uh, perhaps that the, they, they had some success with this endeavor uh, with their initial targets and then over time have expanded it to other areas. Yes. I, I mean, Lyceum, as far as we can tell, is very focused uh, on espionage. Again, mm. on the, you know, the, the targets of strategic national importance. And so we do believe that they're now just continuing the momentum they had in those areas and now continuing to, to go in those different, different countries uh, that we had mentioned it's, and, and different industries. Well, you mentioned uh, both Shark and Milan, which are the tools that they are using here. Can we dig into each of those individually? Can you sure. describe to us what exactly are they and what are their capabilities? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're pretty well-known backdoor uh, malware families. Uh, and the, the fascinating thing to me, at least, is both of these have two different um, C2 uh, communication channels, one through DNS and one through HTTP. Why is that? Is, is this for uh, redundancy to have more than one way to reach out? Yeah. So I think there's, there's multiple reasons. Uh, one reason DNS is really not on the radar of most SOC analysts. And so being able to, even though it's it's a little bit harder to, to operate, uh, meaning it's a little less reliable, it's a lot slower, uh, you know, it, it stays under the radar. And so if you think about uh, threat actor groups that are associated with espionage, this is a great way to you know, stay under the radar and, and, and try to fulfill their mission. 
Uh, HTTP can absolutely be used as a backup channel if one gets compromised, but the HTTP channel is really more so for moving large amounts of data faster. And I believe that's why they're using both of those channels. So in terms of, of initial exposure here, how, how would uh, one find themselves a victim here? How are they uh, initially getting in? Do you have any sense as far as that goes? ClearSky and Kaspersky have talked about this a lot in their research, but it, it's very traditional, to be honest. They, they focus on spear phishing and taking advantage of unpatched systems on, um, with an internet point of presence. Nothing, nothing really you know, too unique um, on the initial compromise. Now, how about persistence? How, how are they able to, uh, to stay on the systems they get into? It doesn't appear to me, at least, that they're doing uh, a lot of lateral movement in the systems because they are still, they're starting to try to stay quiet as they're, as they're looking around. So, but the, the persistence is really based on the, you know, the, again, the, the malware families. So what are the recommendations there in terms of detection and mitigation? Yeah, this is where I think it becomes really interesting because... You know, again, uh, the SOC analysts aren't traditionally looking for the DNS traffic. And I think there's an opportunity for us to do a little bit better in that as a, as a community overall. So there's a couple of, you know, in addition to the indicators that we have published as part of our, our joint research with Prevalian, you know, there's a number of other things that we believe organizations can do, especially, again, as it, become, as it comes to being better at detecting uh, malicious activity through malware. I didn't mention this, but each of these malware families was using um, a domain uh, generating algorithm, which really means that they're able to change domains very quickly and stay under the radar. Because as you can imagine, if they were using just one domain, it's very easy to start seeing a pattern develop and stop that communication, cutting off their, you know, cutting off their C2 channel. But as they're changing it consistently, that helps them stay uh, under the radar quite hmm. extensively. Uh, one of the things that you know, SOC analysts should be looking for more is anomalies based on that. So domains, uh, different domains are resolving to the same IP address in a very short period of time. Right? It's very behavior-based, but something that you know, modern SIMs and other analytics tools are able to identify. What other things uh, come to uh, your attention here in terms of what to look out for? Yeah, I think, you know, honestly, to, to, to stop the initial... Um, the initial penetration, which again, we're talking about basic um, security hygiene and IT hygiene, patching systems right. and making sure right. we're educating users. When we're looking okay. for activities similar to this, right, uh, it does come down to uh, being able to di- detect malicious or anomalous DNS requests and DNS traffic so that you can see if people are leveraging DNS tunneling um, or DNS to issue commands within an environment similar to this threat actor. And when we're looking for HTTP exfiltration, it's not really too different than we think about for any type of data exfiltration leveraging HTTP, right? Large amounts of data that are leaving the system over a shorter period of time. The thing really is, is a lot of organizations aren't doing this type of anomalous detections. Um, They're looking for more traditional threat vectors or, or malicious activity. So that's why threat groups leveraging these techniques or why these techniques are being leveraged by more threat groups are just becoming more uh, prevalent uh, in the attack chain. The fact that you all partnered with Prevalian here uh, strikes me as interesting in itself. Can you can you give us some insights as to, you know, what these sort of partnerships provide for, for both partners here? I mean, it, uh, 
it, it strikes me uh, that uh, there's benefits for both sides. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is quite honestly just something that industry in general needs to do more of. I think we're really good at talking about information sharing, and I'm not really sure we're so good at actually doing it. So we, we've been trying to partner with a number of different, you know, a number of our different partners within the intelligence community uh, because they have access to data that we don't have, and we have insights that they don't have. So as you said, there is absolutely an opportunity uh, for both of us to get something out of this. In this circumstance, Pavilion was able to leverage their their telemetry that they're they're collecting, and we were able to leverage our analysts who have been doing research in the, you know, the uh, backend communications and internet infrastructure that threat actors are using, and marry those two things together to gain a lot of additional insights. All right, we were because of the partnership, we were able to identify additional victim sets. As part of this, and we were able to addition, uh, additionally identify a number of uh, additional domains as as part of this as well. I think when the initial research was done, there was six domains, I believe, that were um, identified. And through this partnership and our research, I think we identified up to 20 um, that were being used by this threat actor. Um, so, and that's something that neither of us could have done on our own. So I, I think it's, you know, it's just, it's not only better for the two of us to be able to partner, but it's also better for the community when we do this type of activity and this type of partnership. Yeah, absolutely. So where do we stand today in terms of, of Lyceum themselves? Is, is there a sense that they are still uh, operating out there doing their thing? Absolutely. And, you know, we, we started to see them change a little bit, not their tactics, but I would say adjusting their malware, especially uh, within Milan. You know, again, part of our research identified that as we as we were going through the different, the, following the different threads of our research, we started to identify uh, what we believe at first was a new backdoor used by Lyceum. And now through that research, we believe that they've just modified some of the syntax in the Milan backdoor to be able to uh, go undetected from the IOCs that are being now published. Um, so, you know, going undetected by uh, intrusion detection, intrusion prevention systems, because they've adjusted the tactic a little bit. Um, and so they could avoid detection. And, but we don't see them uh, necessarily changing their overall tactic because they're quite, success, uh, they're quite successful right now. Uh, so we see them continuing to use the two main malware groups, but probably uh, malware families, but, but probably still uh, but modifying them enough so um, current IOCs will not be able to detect them. Is it, is it fair to say that they exhibit a certain amount of discipline here, as, which I suppose you would expect from uh, an organization focused on espionage? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they're, they're not, um, we haven't seen any evidence of them doing any destructive activities or bringing uh, unwanted attention to themselves. They, they seem to uh, be as quiet as possible, uh, maintain persistence as, as long as possible, and you know, gather information. For as long as possible. Our thanks to Robert Boyce from Accenture for joining us. The research is titled Who Are the Latest Targets of Cybergroup Lyceum? We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. 
You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills, all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.